to Exodus. Go to Exodus. I want to um, encourage you uh, this morning. How many of you believe growth is coming to this church? Amen. And, um, you know, there's things spiritually that we can do that brings that growth. You know, we're praying and we're, you know, ushering in those from the north, the south, the east, and the west, those who know God, those who don't know God, those who think they know God, whatever. We, we want them all because we can all learn and we can all grow. You know, if, if we ever got to a point where uh, we could only learn so much and then you know, there's no more learning, then I wouldn't want those people. But we all can learn. We can all grow. It doesn't matter if you've been in church 25 years or 25 minutes. And so we want them all. But there are even some things that we can do naturally. And um, I want to encourage you uh, to, to begin to move towards the middle section. And this is why I say that. Uh, because when people come... Um, you know, if they slip in late or if they're new, they're going to want those seats. I'm just going to tell you. First time guests don't sit here most of the time. I've had a few, and uh, usually they're the ones that want to be noticed, and, you know, they need to sit in the back anyways. But I'm encouraging you, I'm, I'm being serious, to begin to filter towards the inside only because as we grow, um, you know, when, when you're expecting 25 new people to show up, you're thinking, oh, well, I want them to have a place to sit. And they're not going to want to go through all this to get here. They're going to want to sit there. And as they begin to learn and grow and meet new people and learn who you are, they'll begin to filter in as well. And, and so I just want to encourage you with that. Uh, you know, this year is going to be a great year for us. I believe that, uh, you know, we're going to fill up all these seats by this time next year. And um, so we just want to be mindful of those things. As, as you grow, um, you know, you begin to notice things and, and see ways that we can help. Um, and, and our ushers are going to begin to help them find seats and those type of things and, and be able to find a place to sit. But we can help that out as well. Amen. So let's get into the word. Exodus chapter 2. We're going to talk about Moses. Moses. And I've been waiting to get to this guy. Because uh, of all of them, I think that we can relate to Moses the most. Let me say this real quick. I want to uh, say that I appreciate all of y'all that were here and, uh, on Wednesday. Um, we had a death in the family on my wife's side. Um, her cousin was killed in a car wreck the week before. Uh, 22 years old. Um, probably one of the most tragic car accidents I've ever seen in my life. It literally ripped the car in half. Uh, the car was in two separate pieces, and she was killed instantly. Um, very tragic for the family, very um, uh, difficult. We've had a long week. We've had a draining week. We've had an emotional week. It's devastating the loss that took place. Uh, you know, when someone is 50, 60, and, and upwards, you know, you begin to be excited about the life they lived and everything they did, and at 22, you just haven't done much. There's just no way around it. And um, uh, so we know where Natalie is today, but um, having her separated from us um, is very difficult. 
Uh, she was around at everything, every family function that we did. I mean, it wasn't like this was some distant relative. This was somebody we knew, somebody very close. We just saw her at Thanksgiving and Christmas and all that. So uh, just continue to be in prayer for our family, if you would, please. Um, also, Van and Julie Murphy had a death in their family this past week, and she notified me, said that they would be out of town, uh, you know, dealing with that. So lift them up uh, in, in prayer, if you would, as well. Uh, Van and Julie, I believe it was her brother-in-law uh, that they lost. Um, I don't know all the, the circumstances, but I just know that they're attending to that. So uh, the Bible says that when one rejoices, we all rejoice, and when one suffers, we all suffer. Amen. If you're truly a part of the body, you feel the pain. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's 3 o'clock in the morning and I stub my toe on the way to the bathroom. It's all the way down there. I don't really think about it a whole lot. But when it's suffering, I'm on the ground aching and moaning and crying in pain with the rest of it. And um, that's the way the body is to work. Amen. We're one unit and um, uh, we can encourage each other, comfort each other. Amen. We have the comforter living inside of us, the Holy Spirit, and uh, he brings peace. Jesus is the prince of peace, uh, peace that passes all understanding. So even when you can't explain it, you're at peace. Amen. And we know those things. We can encourage each other with those. You see them and you have that kind of conversation. Hey, we're praying for you. We know that God's going to bring you the peace and the comfort that you need. What the world has is fading. What the world has is fleeting. Uh, it doesn't stick around. It doesn't last forever, and it's not real. But what we have is real. Amen? And um, so uh, it's exciting to know that we have church family. It's one thing to be around family family. It's another thing to be around church family. I know I've been through times where I don't know what I would have done without a church family, church body. For some people, this is family. The closest family you have is sitting right here in this room. And um, it ought to be that way. It ought to be that way. We should not make more influence, more emphasis with our natural family than our spiritual family. The spiritual is more real than the natural. Amen? And I am more hooked up with people that are doing the will of God with me than natural family that doesn't care any more about doing the will of God than the man on the moon. Okay? I'm more connected and more hooked up with some of y'all than I am with even some natural family. And that's the way it ought to be. Even Jesus said that. He who does the will of my father, that's my brother, that's my sister. He just expanded his family. His family just got larger. You're not limited just to the, the, the mom and the dad and, and the, the cousins and the nieces. And, and now I've got family sitting right next to me that wants to do the will of God with me. Amen? And we ought to feel that connection. Exodus chapter 2. I want to introduce you to Moses today. And... Um, uh, Moses, I believe, we'll all get to relate to. I believe we'll all see something, a little bit of something in this guy because I, I, I see it as being a, one of the number one ways the enemy keeps people from their purpose and their assignment in life. Moses dealt with something that the majority of people deal with on this planet, whether, you have, uh, uh, whether you're a millionaire or whether you don't have uh, two pennies to rub together, whether you've got a lot of family or whether you know nobody, whether you have a great career and job or whether you're still trying to find it. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. I believe that the thing that we're going to identify today is something that the enemy is attacking today with, still trying to attack people with today. I want to bring you to a point in Moses' life. Moses was born as a Hebrew, an Israelite, a 
uh, person that was in the people group in the family of God. Okay, God loves everybody, sure. But in the Old Testament, there was a group of people that he had designated as his, his nation, his people. And they were called Israel. They were called the Israelites. They were called the descendants of Abraham. Remember, when we talked about Abraham, we talked about him being a father of many nations. And this was that nation of people. This was that people group that God saw as his people. And Moses was originally born into that group. But because of what Joseph did, remember when we talked about Joseph, they had seven good years and seven bad years in a land called Egypt. And because of the seven good years, they were able to store up enough food, not only for themselves, but for all the surrounding regions and territories. So when the seven bad years hit, guess where everyone was going to get food? Egypt. Well, this eventually happened to Joseph's family, who was Hebrew, who was the Israelites. They ended up running out of food, and they ended up having to go to Egypt to get food. Well, it eventually got so bad that they ran out of money. Hey, we, we can't pay you for food. We, we, we don't have any money left. But, hey, you can have our lands. So they started turning over their land. Well, they ran out of land. You can, you can have our cattle. You can have... Uh, you know, our, our livestock, ran out of livestock, still hungry. And they finally decided, you know what? You can have us. We'll come work for you if you let us eat of all that food that you have. Well, this led to a problem. In Exodus chapter 1, it says that a Pharaoh rose up that did not know Joseph. Didn't know Joseph. And began to realize that these Hebrew people, this is the real deal. These guys are strong. These guys are having a lot of kids. These guys are multiplying in numbers, multiplying in strength. And here's the problem. If our enemies come to fight against us, they're going to join our enemies and become one of our enemies. When our enemies come, when those Philistines come, when those Hittites and Jebusites, when they rise up and want to take us on, these Israelites, they're not going to side with us because we're telling them what to do. They're going to join our enemies and help take us out. So they began to put them into even greater bondage and slavery. And so now God's people are in slavery to the Egyptians. And Pharaoh decided to go even a step further. He said, they are multiplying at such a great rate. They're having so many children that we need to cut off the children. Any babies that are born, kill them. Any baby two and under, get rid of the male babies. And any, ba any baby that's born after that, get rid of them. There's too many of them. And so Moses was one of those babies. Moses' parents were God-fearing people. And she raised Moses, Moses' mom, raised him as long as she could, but finally realized, I can't hide him anymore. So she put him in a basket and put him in the river and just hoped that 
somebody would pick him up one day. Well, Pharaoh's daughter picked him up. This is kind of a cool deal. Moses' sister, Miriam, follows the basket and sees Pharaoh's daughter pick him up. And she realizes this is one of the Hebrew babies, but had compassion on him and decided to keep him. And Moses' sister sees this and speaks up and says, hey, I know someone who can take care of him for you. And she says, fine, go get her. Let her nurse him and raise him, and I'll pay you for it. So Moses' mom gets paid to raise her own child. Any, any jealous moms in the room right now? Yeah, I get nothing. I'll put up with my kids, I get nothing. And so Moses' mom gets to raise him, gets to teach him, gets to help him identify who he is and who his people are, who his God is. But that isn't able to last for too long. And eventually, once Moses got old enough, uh, he became an Egyptian. And eventually, that's all he knew was being an Egyptian. And he looked like an Egyptian, and he acted like an Egyptian, and living in the king's own home, even though he's on the complete opposite side of who he really is on the inside. And in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, I want to introduce you at a very marking time in his life. It says in verse 11, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he knows this is my brother. He knows this is, these are the people who I really belong to. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. This begins a very crucial time in Moses' life. Moses is now a murderer. Moses is now thinking, okay, I killed the people that I'm living with now because I know I'm really a part of this group. But the Hebrew... The Hebrews, the Israelites, don't recognize him as one of them. So now he's caught in an identity crisis. Now he's caught in a position of, I know I'm really this, but I've been living this. People see me as this, and they don't see me as that. So which one do I identify? Who am I really? Who am I supposed to be? And so he ends up fleeing and ends up in a land called Midian. Skip on down to verse 19, just to help entrench us in this identity crisis he's dealing with. Down in verse 19, let me get you caught up. He runs and he ends up by this well. And the high priest there in Midian, his daughters went out to get water to feed their flocks. And some shepherds came up and tried to give them problems. If any of you have seen the Ten Commandments, Moses goes crazy on them, starts 
he breaks out that staff, man, and gets all ninja-like on him and takes out all these shepherds. And look at verse 19. It says, and they said, the girls, the, the, the women, and they said, an Egyptian delivered us. So Moses does not look like a Hebrew. They identify him, someone that doesn't know him at all. Foreigners identify him as an Egyptian. So whatever the Egyptians look like, that's what Moses looked like. They identify him as an Egyptian, even though on the inside Moses knows that he's different. And so Moses is insecure. Moses has a past that's quite unworthy, and Moses doesn't even know who he really is. At this point in time, Moses is not a God-fearing man. Because now for the majority of his life, he's been raised as an Egyptian. He's not living for God. He does not, he's not seeking God. He's not looking for God. He's not fearing God. He's just, get me away from all this. Get me away the two lives that I don't know which one I am. Just get me away from it all and let me, let me get out here. So he ends up in this land called Midian. He ends up living and working for uh, the high priest there. The high priest gives his oldest daughter to him as his wife. They have a kid, and he makes his home there in Midian as a shepherd. It's a shepherd. He's here for 40 years. Now let's get over to Mo Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 to the time that we all know. That we all identify Moses with. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. There at the beginning of verse 1 it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. And this is something that you're going to see, that all of the men, all of the people, all the extraordinary people that we look at, you're going to see this as a common theme. None of them were looking for extraordinary. <laughs> None of them were walking around thinking, God, I just want to be extraordinary for you. I want to do awesome things. I want to be great. I, I want to know what your plan is. I want to know. No, he came to Abraham and said, get out of the home that you know. Abraham wasn't looking for it. Joseph wasn't looking for it. Just Joseph has a dream one night and says, boom. None of them were searching for it. None of them were looking for it. None of them were just wandering around, just wanting to know what their assignment and their purpose was. God called them at a point in time where they thought they were doing okay. Where they thought they were doing good just to live the life. They were just living ordinary. Because extraordinary does not come by searching. Extraordinary comes by being called. Extraordinary does not come by searching for it. It comes by being called to it. And some of us have disregarded the ordinary in our life because we're just wandering around looking for the extraordinary, looking here and looking there, and we're missing what we're doing right now. Moses was just doing his daily routine, 
tending the sheep, being a shepherd, just leading an ordinary life. And by doing that, God led him to a burning bush. We have to quit holding our head up high, looking for what that extraordinary thing is, and disregarding the ordinary thing that's right in front of us that God wants to use to bring us to the extraordinary. You want extraordinary, but you don't want to be a proper employee. You're thinking of that job. You're, man, if I, did, if I could do that, but you can't show up to work on time now. So what's, why would you show up to that job on time? Because it's a promotion? Because it's better than what you're doing? Because it's what you want to do versus something you have to do? This one you get to do. This one you have to do. When I get to do what I want to do, I'll show up on time. But when I have to do it and it's not something I really want to do, then we don't show ourselves faithful. that's just one example you're thinking man if I had that kind of money I would do this if I had that kind of money I would tithe I would give so much to the church but God's asked you to give $15 and you couldn't let that go and we're, we're out here looking for the extraordinary and he says you got it right in front of you I want you to be extraordinary with the ordinary that you have right now man if I had that paycheck Man, if I had that position, man, if I had that kind of wife, man, if I had that kind of husband, man, if my kids were like that, man, if I had that career. And God's saying, be extraordinary with what you have. If you will do great with the things with the small, then I know you'll do the small things with the great. If you'll be great with the small I know that you'll take care of the small things with the great things. Because guess what? Even the great things still have small things attached. And so Moses is just tending the flock. He's just taking care of sheep. Not fasting and praying and seeking the Lord and, God, what is it? He's just running away, trying to get away from a, another life that he lived, and he doesn't even know which one is the real him. And now God shows up in a burning bush. Verse 3, then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great, great sight while the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him, from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. It's interesting to note that God didn't speak until he turned aside. Like he wasn't trying to get his attention. Because God wants to know, are you really going to search me out? Are you really going to go look for me? Are you really going to try to know me? God wants to know your heart. God wants to know, do you really want more information? You know, and this kind of shoots down, you know, if God came and told me exactly what I'm supposed to do, then I would do it. And, and you'll find out that you wouldn't. <laughs> if God gave me a burning bush, then I, I would do exactly what he said. No, you wouldn't. Because what happens now 
is Moses tries to come up with every excuse in the book not to do what he's being asked to do from a burning bush. From a burning bush. And see, God's trying to give us some burning bushes. But we haven't taken the time to, to seek him out. We haven't taken the time to search for him. And this says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. God can't reveal more to you than you're willing to know. God can't reveal more to you than you're willing to know. If you won't do with what you know today, he can't give you more. He can't reveal more purpose, more assignment, more task, more, more of his will to you if you won't operate in what you know today. Verse 5, then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows. So look what he says. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which now the Egyptians oppress them. Now, up to this point, this conversation seems to be pretty one-sided. <laughs> this conversation is going like this. Hey, Moses, I just want to let you know that I see all the oppression, all the, all the stuff that's happening to my people. I, I've seen it, and I've come down to do something about it. And up until now, Moses is probably thinking, okay, so you're just letting me in on it? You're just letting me in on the inside, what you're going to do? You're going to take care of it. You've come down. You've seen the affliction. You've seen the oppression. And Moses has seen it. Moses has seen it firsthand. He killed a guy because the torment and the oppression was so bad that he killed an Egyptian because of how he was treating a Hebrew slave. He wasn't just bossing them around. He was treating them like animals. And the oppression and the affliction is so bad that Moses decided to kill a guy. So Moses knows firsthand what God is talking about here. And so, so far this conversation is just pretty much God telling Moses, here's what I'm going to do about it. But here's the funny thing about God, is he has to use man. So, in verse 10, we see the purpose unfold. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. <laughs> see, some of us love the plan of God until he incorporates us in it to do something that's very difficult and to do something that we don't qualify for. Now you're thinking, he's, he's, he, he, he's sitting in front of a bush that's on fire, but is not burning. 
God is speaking directly to him. God's presence is there because he had to take his shoes off. What more do you need? God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. But that's not Moses' response. Look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, and look at these first three words, Who am I? It identifies Moses' number one problem. Who am I? Okay, why? What's this have to do with me? Why are you telling me this? Why are you, te- why are you sending me? Who am I? Because Moses doesn't even know who he is. Moses has lost his identity. Moses has now been living for 40 years as a shepherd in a town that he's not even from, doing a task that he's not even supposed to be doing. Is he supposed to be a Hebrew slave or is he supposed to be Egyptian royalty? Is he supposed to be down in the bottom or is he supposed to be up at the very top? I mean, the two lives that he had were so drastic and so far apart from each other that he's now accepted a life as a shepherd in Midian. That's the best he could come up with. And now God shows up and says, you're going to deliver my people who have been in bondage to the Egyptians for over 400 years. You're going to lead them out. I mean, first thing Moses is thinking is, how in the world am I going back to Egypt? I killed a guy. I killed a guy there. The second I step back into that nation, they're going to want to take me. And see, this is what we do when God calls us. The first thing we do is we try to qualify ourselves. And when we try to qualify ourselves, all we can think about is our past. What in my life qualifies me to do this? God, do you know what school I went to? Do you know the town that I grew up in? Do do you know the friends that I had in high school? God, let me. It's like sometimes we have a conversation with God and we try to help Him figure out us. Let me tell you about my life, God. I don't know where you've been over the last twenty-five years, but and we try to qualify ourselves based upon our past to do what God is telling us to do in the present, when the whole time God has been qualifying us based upon our future. Because see, Moses was spoken of way back in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, God speaks to Abraham and says, Now look, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And the people, they're going to end up in slavery to the Egyptian, to this nation. And they're going to go through hard bondage, over 400 years of it. But when they leave, they're going to come back to this promised land. And they're going to take everything from Egypt with them. See, this wasn't new to Moses. This wasn't new to God. To Moses, it was new. But this plan wasn't, he's not coming up with this plan on the spot. He didn't just show up to Moses and said, all right, hey, work with me here. What, what, what do you think? What's the best way to go in, get those guys? He's already got it all planned out. Now, Moses is trying to let him know why he's not really the best pick. I'm not really the one that you want to be talking to right now. And so he has an issue with identity. Who am I? 
Look at verse 12. So he said, God said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, you would think that if Moses' question is, who am I? That God would respond with something that would reassure him that he's the right man for the part. You would think that God would reveal something to Moses that would show him, you've got this, this, and this, and I'm going to use this, and this is what I want. And he doesn't do that. And this is what I love about it. He doesn't tell Moses who he is. He tells Moses who God is. Because essentially what he's telling Moses is, hey, man, it's not about you. I just got to use you. I just need a vessel. You going to be the vessel? You going to let me work through you? And so God reassures Moses by establishing a confidence in who God is, not in who he is. He never expects Moses to all of, all of a sudden build up a confidence in who he is as a person. He says, if you can trust in me and allow me to work in you, then you and I together can go get these people out of Egypt. Extraordinary is not about you. And extraordinary is not about who you are. Extraordinary is about God working through you. Every person in the Bible that did anything extraordinary for the kingdom of God did it because they were used by God. Sometimes I think that God picks up, uh, picks some of the most messed up people to do some of the greatest things. Because it just reassures people that God is the one in operation here. Now that can't, you can't use that to disqualify yourself either. I mean, I don't, I don't really have a, a, a terrible past compared to others. There's, there's people that have come out of prison and done great things for God and uh, been near the point of killing themselves and did great things for God and, and were on drugs and alcohol and, and entered great depression and came out and did something great. But you know, I don't have that kind of testimony. But I don't disqualify myself because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The second I came into this earth, I was disqualified from doing anything great. But now because of who he is inside of me, when God asks you to do something extraordinary, he's not asking you to be extraordinary. He's asking you to allow the extraordinary to come through you. And so God's response isn't about Moses. God's response is about himself. God isn't identifying things in Moses that all of a sudden qualify him well it's because you know these people and because 
you once lived in Egypt because you were the son of Pharaoh and because you really are a Hebrew. I mean, you're the one that's got a connection to both sides. So I really, he doesn't use any of that. He says, I will be with you. I will work through you. I will use you. It's about who God is. The more you learn who God is, the more extraordinary things that he can do through you. Again, it's kind of what we opened up with. The more you relate to what's around you, you can't do anything extraordinary. But when you relate to the one inside of you, then you realize, I'm just a vessel. I'm being used by someone who is great, someone who can do great things. Great are you, Lord. And because you live in me, and because you're working through me. Amen. So let's keep going. Verse 13, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. I mean, he's just continuing this course of this is who I am. This is what I can do. It's about me working through you. I am who I am. And he said, thus uh, shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus, thus, shall you sh shall, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and have seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I, have, uh, and I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will hear your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. You shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now, please, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord. Our God, but I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. That that's reassuring. Would you still go if God told you it wasn't gonna work? <laughs> I mean, God's going ahead and letting them know, look, I'm sending you, and they're not gonna listen. But I'm still gonna work. I'm gonna still do something. No, not even by a mighty hand, so I will stretch out my hand. And strike Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. It shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, gold, clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Basically, God sent them to Egypt to take all their stuff. Basically what's taking place here. God used the famine that hit through Joseph to allow the 
uh, Israelites to go into Egypt, and Egypt thought that they were putting them in bondage and slavery, but didn't realize they're taking all of our stuff. They're going to leave Egypt one day, and they're going to leave us with nothing. That's exactly what happens. Now look at Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Sounds like a great plan. God's got it all together. He lays it all out. And again, if you think that if God coming to you in a burning bush, would you would just automatically, yeah, Lord, let's do it. I'm, I'm full in. Here we go. You think that you'd be gung-ho about it. Um, let's look at the life of Moses, and you might think twice about that. So far, we've had one excuse. I don't know who I am. Who am I to lead these people out of the hand of Pharaoh? Verse 1, Exodus 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he caught, he reached out his hand, caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Here's why I like this. Abraham is now a shepherd by trade. He's been doing this for 40 years. And in his own hand, he carried something with him that was a tool to do an ordinary life, an ordinary task. In his hand was an ordinary tool to perform an ordinary task. And God takes an ordinary rod and performs an extraordinary sign with it. In fact, what he's doing is he's showing Moses, this is what I'm doing with you. I'm taking something ordinary that's been used for just ordinary tasks, ordinary routine, ordinary life. But when I get a hold of it, it's going to perform an, an extraordinary assignment. It's a picture of Moses. And see, here's the thing. We all have ordinary resources in our hands right now. And you may be playing the what-if game with God. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't see it? What if they don't know? What if I fail? What if I don't get that job? What if I'm not good at it? What if I don't? What if? What if? What if? And God is saying, you have resources in your hand today that if you allow me to get a hold of it, you'll be able to perform an extraordinary miracle with an ordinary resource. Your finances may seem ordinary. Your job may seem ordinary. Your car may seem ordinary. But when you let God get a hold of it, now he can do something extraordinary with what you have only seen as ordinary this whole time. God not only wants to take 
you and use you, but he wants to use everything that's attached to you. That's why he's Lord, because when he's Lord, he possesses everything you own. He, th those aren't your finances anymore. Those are his. And so whatever he tells you to do with it, he, you, can do, you can do that, and then it becomes extraordinary. An ordinary paycheck all of a sudden becomes extraordinary when you let God use it for the kingdom. Your ordinary routine life all of a sudden becomes extraordinary. One day you think you're just grocery shopping, but you don't realize that there's someone down in aisle seven next to the cereals that God wants you to minister to that day. And now an ordinary routine of grocery shopping has just turned into an extraordinary assignment of being a light in darkness. You've got stuff in your possession right now. You've got things that God wants to use right now. And we don't need to wait until we get a hold of something else. We don't need to wait. This rod turned into a snake. This rod parted the Red Sea. This rod opened up a rock and caused water to come out of it. An ordinary tool to do an ordinary task in Moses' ordinary life. All of a sudden becomes extraordinary when he lets God get a hold of it. What does God want to get a hold of in your life today? What is in your possession that God wants to use to do something great for him? What is in your hands? What do you have? that you've been holding on to, but God is saying, I want to use that right there. And will you let him? Will you let him perform a miracle through an ordinary tool? Will you let him do something extraordinary through an ordinary resource? And he goes on and he does a couple more signs. Get on down to verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not an eloquent speaker. I'm not eloquent either before nor since you have spoken to your servant. <laughs> he identifies, look, I, was, I couldn't talk great before you showed up, and I, I, I'm still stuttering stuff out, even right now is what he's saying. Before you came to me and since this conversation, I mean, he's just going through the book. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Verse 11. Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. God's letting him know when the time comes, I'm going to be there. Up until the point it may seem like you're all by yourself, but when it's time for me to show up, I'm going to be there. I'm right there with you. I'm going to tell you what to say. Jesus told his disciples this. He said, when you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit will speak through you, and he'll tell you what to say. 
and the scared disciple, the cowardly disciple, all of a sudden in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter 4, all of a sudden begin to get bold, begin to realize that the Holy Spirit is inside of me, and whatever I need to say, He's going to tell me what to say. He's going to cause those words to come out of my mouth. Again, reassuring. He didn't heal. It. Oh, how silly of me, Moses. Let me take care of that. Come here. Let me lay my hands on you. Let me give you a new mouth. Let me get. No, he said, I got this. I'm working through you. Just trust in me. Just rely on me. It's not about your ability. It's about my ability in you. Amen. I'm not able. I'm not able. I'm not able. He eventually, you know, verse 13, but he said, Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else. You don't want to tell God that, by the way, because verse 14 says, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. You want to make God mad? Tell him to pick somebody else. You don't want me, God. Trust me. I'm a mess. I, I Look, I'll, I'll mess this thing up. It sounds like a really awesome plan. It sounds like you really you know, want the best in this thing. It sounds like you re- I, I'm not the guy. I would never tell God that. I would just do what he asked. Trust in him. Amen? Verse 15. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth. And with his mouth, he ended up bringing his brother Aaron alongside him to help him speak. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. He himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the sign. So Moses leaves this conversation with two things he already has, a brother and a rod. A brother and a rod. Two things that he already possessed. Two things that were already in his life. God didn't add anything else to him except for the fact that now you know that I'm with you. I've called you and I'm with you. Now go do something extraordinary. And we know, we know that Moses ends up going in. Ten plagues later, gets them out of Egypt, crosses the Red Sea, and then he has to deal with a bunch of people that don't trust God, wish they could get back to Egypt, ends up being a big mess. But we know they eventually get into the promised land by Joshua. But I want to say this. The way you got into this thing is the way you're going to get through this thing. We can never get to a point where we trust in our own ability to do anything. And Moses failed. If you don't know the story of Moses, he didn't get to go in the promised land. But what happened was, 
Moses got up so upset with the people. They were crying out about not having anything to drink. Started complaining about wanting to go back to Egypt. And there was one time that this happened, and God said, strike the rock, and water will come out. And he used that rod. He used that rod. Hit the rock, water came out. But this happened another time. And this time God said, speak to the rock and water will come out for the people. See, God's power is only in what he tells you to do. Well, he decided to hit the rock. Out of anger, he hit the rock. Water still came out. But that instance disqualified Moses from going into the promised land. You are never free from obeying what God tells you to do. You start out and you're just obeying God because you don't know anything else. But you can never develop a trust and a confidence in your ability to do anything. See, it's never been about your ability. It wasn't about his ability in the beginning, and it wasn't about his ability in the end. It's not about your ability. It's about your reliability on God, your availability to his call, and your responsibility to do what he asked you to do. We don't see great things happen in our life ever because of our ability. And Moses made a mistake of walking away, trying to do something extraordinary on his own ability, trying to make something great happen on his own terms. In that instance, and it got to a point where Moses begged and begged and begged, finally God had to look at him and he had to say do not ask me again you're not going in I thought God was forgiving I thought God was loving I thought God was caring God needs to know that he's using you based upon his ability through you period I wasn't that great of a speaker before but then you know I just trusted in God and and now you start saying your own words instead of speaking what God said. You trusted in, in God when you had little finances, but then all of a sudden you started making some money and some cash flow started coming in. You started trusting your ability to make judgment calls on what to do with the money rather than trusting his. No matter where we get in life, we can never get ourselves to a point where we no longer trust in his ability. The extraordinary is not a result of your ability. Not in the beginning, not in the middle, not in the end. It's based upon your reliability on God. Your availability to his call 
and your responsibility to do what he asks you to do. Father, we thank you this morning that despite our past, despite our insecurities, despite our identity crisis, despite us not even maybe knowing who we are, that you can still use us, you want to use us, and you've planned to use us this whole time. You didn't just wake up one day and said, I want to use him. No, it's been a part of your plan from the beginning. You said in Ephesians that the plan, the purpose that you've had, you've had from the beginning of time, before time began. So, Father, forgive us for disqualifying ourselves. Forgive us for excusing ourselves. Forgive us for coming up with every reason not to trust you. And, Father, we commit today, no matter how far we get in this thing, we never rely on ourselves. We never trust in ourselves. We never trust in our ability. Everything we have is because of you. Everything we are is because of you. And Father, I thank you today that you'll continue to do great things through us as long as we trust in you. As long as we make ourselves available to your call. As long as we are responsible to do what you've called us to do. And as long as we rely on you, I thank you for this today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.